0: reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 4 uh, 1 to 13. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover it is required of stewards that they may be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact I do not even judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself but I am not therefore acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his condemnation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favour in of one another, of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We and we labour working with our own hands. When revealed we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat, we have become and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things.
1: Thanks, Nia, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word knowing that um, you are a God who communicates, you're a God who continues to reveal to us through your word, and we ask that your spirit stirs our hearts this morning. May you open the eyes of our hearts to be able to um, see what this has for us as a church, for us as Christians globally, and for us individually. May my words be of you and not of me. Amen. Well, friends, we're back into our 1 Corinthians series. And we, we were in, uh, in Lent, we were looking through Exodus all the way from the beginning of Moses' life to the uh, crossing of the Red Sea. And now we've come back to 1 Corinthians, which is our, our mainstay book over the year. And we're in chapter 4. Um, about 10 years ago now, I visited a church in Richmond, Virginia. We took a, guy, a group of guys from our local church, uh, the kind of top end of our youth group, uh, on mission, mission to see what mission is like. We went and joined in with, with a great church and their mission field in and around Richmond in Virginia. And they took us to this church. Um, it wasn't the church we were, we were staying with, but a church that had an amazing mission work going on amongst the poor in Richmond. It was a church that uh, had an incredible um, s- stretch it had people of great wealth and of great poverty. It had people of all sorts of backgrounds worshipping together in this church. They were doing something really interesting. And we walked into this church. Um, we we'd actually did, hadn't gone into the church first. We we'd met them in their parking lot, the car park, and we, we got on big yellow school buses. And there were about 20 big yellow school buses, and they were filled with Christians from this church, and they were going out to the poor areas of this city and they would take food with them and big big kind of uh, hampers of drinks and they would take food to the parents of lots of children for that day we went back and we went to the church and and we we went into a, a church service an evening service that day and as we walked into this massive glitzy showroom of a church right in front of me as I walked in in the front of of this this youth group were two beautifully polished and extraordinary choppers, big motorcycles, with a red rope around two of them. And I said, uh, Who's are they? To the guy who, who we knew from this church. We went, are oh, they the pastors? Pastor G, that's his bike. That's the best bike. And the other pastor, I can't remember his name, that was his bike. And they were there and they'd literally rode them into the church and parked them up for everyone to come and see as they were walking by. Extraordinary. 21-year-old me standing there, always wanted to ride a motorbike. I know you're joining me on that desire. Amazing. That's what church should be about, right? Maybe. We walked in, and uh, it was just the most amazing and bizarre situation. There were thousands of people in this room by the time we arrived. And we were paraded up to the front as little missionaries from Nottingham, England. And we had, we had marked seats on the front row and the stage was just about here on me. And as we came in, the lights went down, this is absolutely true, and one man walked onto the stage dressed fully in white. The smoke machines came on and he walked onto the stage with a white electric guitar and he started to play Stairway to Heaven. It was just the most bizarre situation. You see, this church had absolutely got it right. They were attracting me. There was something in me that was like, you know what? If God is this great, this this is pretty good as well. And the thousands of people standing behind me in those stalls were also there going, this is attractive. This is amazing. These guys have made it from their motorcycles to their popular music, Twisted for Jesus. It's fun, it's exciting, it was dramatic, it was cool. This church was fascinating. But Corinth, what I want to suggest, was was similar of its time. It was doing the attractive thing really well for its time. And Paul is writing to them, and he's pointing out a few little things that we looked at earlier earlier in this term. And we've looked at some of the things he's pointing out, which is stop dividing over leadership. Stop picking your favorites and going, we're going to go down this style, we're going to go down this style. They were saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. All of which were not focusing on what it is to be a living, breathing follower of Jesus today. They were picking their style. And Corinth was, I want to suggest, a fun place to be a church that was making enough money from its giving to to have an amazing swag shop on the corner, which is also what this church had. Merchandise. You could buy a T-shirt with the logo on and wear it into worship. Corinth seemed to be doing a little bit of that. The love of one individual, their pastor of choice, or the historical pastor of choice, risen up. To be the way forward. Whether that's Pastor G or Pastor C or Vicar Charlie or however you want to do it. This is what they were doing. And Paul is writing to them and challenging them as they're planting pastor. The guy who used to look after this church. And he says, he says in chapter 3, what is Apollos? What is Paul? This guy is Paul. He says, who am I? What am I? But recognize he doesn't even say who. He doesn't even give himself you know, a, a gender or a personhood. He says, what? What role am I? What role is Apollos, the next pastor that came in? He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I've just planted some seeds in our garden. They are not alive yet. It's still mud. I keep watering. It's still mud. Hopefully, the packet says two to three weeks, we'll have a lovely wild flowered garden. But there's nothing there. All that Paul did was plant. All that Apollos was doing was watering. God will bring the growth. We cannot do anything, friends, anything at all, to grow the church in this area. God will. We are called to be faithful in planting and watering. Faithful in doing what he's asked of us to do. And that's what Paul is reminding the Corinthians. Don't go on your own growth strategies. You don't need motorbikes to attract people into the gospel. In fact, putting them in the front door might be a distraction to the gospel. Maybe. But neither he who plants nor he who waters anything, but only God who gives growth. He he explains, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each take care how he builds. Don't you know that you're a temple of God's Holy Spirit? Don't you know that it's not about the person you you follow or, or the church that you go to, but you are the temple of God living in you, the Holy Spirit, God, one of the Trinity, as equal with the rest. And therefore, we need to not be taken by the distractions, by the wisdom of the world. Attract young men in with sick motorcycles. That's wisdom of the world. And friends, it it might work in numbers. For the wisdom of the world is folly to God, Paul writes. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. This is the issue with churches everywhere. And this is the issue with Corinth. We can so easily boast in ourselves. Have you seen the growth of St. Andrew's Wimbledon? Have you seen it? Have you heard about it? Are you telling your friends? It's extraordinary. It's so easy for us to just end up boasting of what we've done. As opposed to saying, friends, have you heard about the, the constant growth that God is doing in his kingdom, of which, praise God, he's blessing St. Andrew's with being a place some of them gather. Are you hearing about what the gospel is doing? to the nations, to individual lives, putting them into communities and and into the body of Christ and glorifying God. Are you hearing about that gospel? We should be really careful about boasting in men. And Paul goes on in our passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, do have it open um, as we unpick it a little bit. Paul wants these Corinthians to see, to understand that the role of each leader of a church is twofold. One... To be servants of Christ, and two, stewards of the mysteries of God. What is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants and they're stewards. The Corinthians had the wrong view. They may have started in the right place, but the church ended up being centered on humans and arguments around which one was the better celebrity to follow. This word servants, in servants of Christ, this word servants is, is fairly uncommon in the New Testament. It sounds quite common, but, it, but this particular Greek word is, is, a, is less common. And it means a housekeeper, sorry, it means a, a, an under-rower, an under-rower. So if you've got a big old warship with three layers of, of big oars as you row your boat, remember those three layers with the little oars out the windows? The under-rower is somebody who has to, has to listen to the authority from above. As the charge to row comes from above, it filters down the boat to the lowest of rowers, and that's the servant that's mentioned here, literally meaning under-rower, i.e. somebody who is simply responding to a higher authority and doing his job. That's what the leader of the church should be, an under-rower of Christ, When God says row, you row. You take it at your own speed, in your own way, it'll all go out of sync. The second is stewards, which is a much more common word in the New Testament. Steward means housekeeper or overseer, where they are charged with providing for an establishment. They've been told what to do, but they do do it in their own way within the time given. So you want your cleaner, if you have one, to clean your bathroom, but you're not going to follow them around the house and say, right, scrub that now. You might the first time. But then you leave them to it, and they just need to do it in the time given. The steward of the house is one who does the job, not under their own authority, but under their own initiative. They do the job. But they're stewarding in this context not just the house, but the mysteries of God, i.e., the gospels that have been the gospel that has been hidden and now revealed. That's what a mystery is. A mystery is something that is to be revealed or has been revealed. A mystery, if wasn't ever to be revealed, you'd never know about it. It'd be a secret. But a mystery is something that is there to one day be uncovered, it can be solved. And the mysteries of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again for the salvation of many, is there to be stewarded for the world, to be handed out, to be given, to be ordered. It is there. Servants and stewards. Paul is a servant of Christ and a steward of God's mysteries, and therefore he doesn't care that the Corinthians at this time were bigging up celebrities. They were making their church really cool, and they were pushing down the historical Paul. They were saying that Paul is old and battered and tired, and the way he did it wasn't cool. It wasn't very good. That's what the Corinthians were doing to Paul, and he says, you're not my judge. Verse 3, with me, he says, verse 3, It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. It's nothing. It's a very small thing. And then, for I'm I'm not aware of anything against myself even. I do not judge myself. It's a very small thing for anyone to judge me, Paul says. Or a human court to judge me. And I'm not even going to judge myself. That doesn't mean he's acquitted. The fact that he doesn't judge himself, verse 4... The fact that he doesn't have any idea of anything against himself, verse 4, doesn't mean that he's acquitted of it. Because God's his judge. God is the one that will judge him. The master will make the judgment. So as the Corinthians are going, Paul, you're rubbish, mate. Paul, you're old school. Paul, you're old hat. Paul, you're poor. Poor, Paul, you're beaten. We have big, sexy church now in Corinth. He says, guys, don't, don't judge me like that. I'm doing my job. It matters very little to me with what you think. Comparisons in these matters are pointless. And Paul's supreme motivation as a minister, as a servant, as a steward, is what God thinks of him. He knows that actually when it comes to it, he will be judged by God and harsher than the people in the pews. James chapter 3, verse 1. Now many of you should... Not become teachers because, my fellow believers, you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. But Paul is confident that he knows the call on his life as a pastor is to be a servant and a steward, and he is doing his best under the grace of God. And this is the man who has killed lots of Christians. This is the great Saul of persecution. And he says, I know nothing against me. Why? Because this man is assured of the grace of Christ. This man is sure that he is covered by the blood of Christ, and he is not boasting in his own righteousness, but coming under the Lord's. Paul then goes on in our passage to an interesting um, aspect for us to look at. He goes on a massive sarcastic hype. Look with me at verse 7. Sorry, verse 6. He said, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another, i.e., do not be proud of one against another and do not go beyond what's written. What's written being the Old Testament Scriptures in this time and they're reading a letter. He is writing the New Testament. He is speaking... The words from God to the church, and he says, do not go beyond what is written, i.e. servants and stewards, not just attractors to the church. Paul is affirming his analysis of the nature of Christian leadership, and then verse 7 says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? If you have received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Friends, you see this. He's saying to the Corinthians, what have you got that you actually made? What have you got in the gospel that you didn't receive from me and Apollos? What have you got? And the answer that they will have to give is nothing. We received all of this from you, Paul. Paul was the one that came in on his own to a town called Corinth that didn't have a church, and he started it. He brought the gospel there. What did we receive? Everything from Paul. And he's saying, do not go beyond what you have originally heard. Do not add to the gospel. The gospel is never Jesus plus. Jesus plus motorbikes, Jesus plus T-shirts, Jesus plus nice worship. It's never that, it's Jesus. And all we're doing as leaders is serving and stewarding that. Carries on with the sarcasm, verse 8. Well, already you have all you want. They're big enough and proud enough to, to be puffed up in what they have and what they're doing and boasting in their people. He says, already you've got what you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, i.e. the old hat apostles, Paul and his old ways, without us, you'd be kings, he says. We're holding you back, are we? We'd be kings, wouldn't you? But we're holding you back. And oh, he says, I wish you would be kings so that we could be kings with you because, of course, you'd take us with you, wouldn't you? Nice Corinthians. See, already you, already you, is revealing a theology that Paul has um, of glory. Because the reality is that the Christian message, the gospel of Christ, does promise all you spiritually want, all you physically need. It does promise riches and treasures beyond anything you could have on earth. But Corinth is saying, you know what, we can have it now with our motorcycles out front. We can have it now with our great guitars on stage. We've got it, guys. Other churches don't. With Paul saying, Oh, yeah, you've got it. You're great. You're going to be kings. No, you will get it. You haven't got it already. He wants them to, to be embarrassed at what he is hearing. Kings we will be. Royalty, we will be as sons and daughters of God one day. But there is a twofold thing going on as we come into the back end of the message today. I want us to see that Paul is writing about both kings and paupers. They're embarrassed by Paul, his little roaming ways of going and starting churches humbly. They want to get rid of that history. But Paul and the apostles still look like paupers. Verse 9. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. The beauty of the church in Corinth may not have erred so far from the gospel. Paul has encouraged them as a genuine Christian church. They are not all wrong, but they've become proud. they become proud individually and collectively. They were looking to follow people and arguing amongst themselves, not focusing on the unity of Christ. They're looking back at Paul and going, mm, the dirty days of church planting we don't want. We're just going to have the big thing. Paul then says, you, you are wise, you are strong, you are held in honor, and all of those things are true in Christ, and will be fully true when we will reach in glory if we believe in our Lord Jesus. But we still, the apostles, we are fools. We are looked at and sentenced to death. We are exhibited like like." people who have come back from war and, and are exhibited amongst everyone, already got the death sentence. They are captures of war, and they get thrown to the liars in the theater. They get thrown to the gladiators. They get strapped up on crosses for everyone to gaze at. That's how he feels. We are weak. We are in disrepute. Both are Christians. One needs challenging on their pride, even though you have much, even though you are an incredibly blessed church, as he explains in chapter 1, even though God has done amazing things with you, remember little old Paul walking around the world with the same gospel as the church with the motorcycles. Verse 11, to the present hour we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and we labor, working with our hands when reviled we bless when persecuted we endure when when slandered we entreat and we have become and are still like the scum of the world never forget the church universal never forget that we are all paupers in this world but will be made kings in Christ never one and idolize it and get proud in it, whether that's our richness and blessings from God in in earthly ways or whether that's humility, whether we never clean the room so that we look more poor and disgusting, we're proud in who we are. We need to remember to be servants of Christ as he gives and stewards of his gospel, And when we are reviled and we are slandered and we we are persecuted, as brothers and sisters are across the world, friends, what do we do? We bless. We endure. We entreat. Because as the Corinthian church are listening to the words of Paul, he is showing them Christ. Not just don't forget about us because we're the poor relation. But we are looking like Christ, as you should be. Paul sees the apostles as called to suffering, even when churches that they plant have grown and are excited. But in that, we need to be careful not to be Corinth. We are not yet persecuted in Wimbledon, but we could be, and there are three things from this metaphor of kings and paupers. One, Christians will be seeing blessing in worldly terms in this life. But friends, we as the same church have to remember them. That's why we partnered with Asif Mao, who serves persecuted Christians in Pakistan, and, and also a small church plant in, in France, as they, they literally build a church with nobody there yet, because we can never hold on to what we've got and start celebrating. We've got our own issues. The reality is we need to see ourselves as the body, not pushing the other bits away. Two, if we're experiencing the hardship and cost of Christian ministry, then we will be assured that it is generally releasing blessing on others. It is the fact that Paul and the apostles were persecuted that the church could grow. It's the fact that they took beatings that they walked around the world and, and, and took the brunt of the, of the attack of people saying, don't start a church in this town, that the church could grow. There were fights beyond um, the planting of St. Andrew's Wimbledon that I'll never know about, that, that people in the diocese took, other, other churches took. And when I arrived, there were fights that, that I took here that, that you guys don't even need to know about because it's those who are in those situations that take the brunt so that the church can live and survive. And and that's the beauty. It's the beauty of things going on, and you will have those stories in your life as well. A lot of the hardship of Christian ministry is releasing blessing in others' lives. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And three, we are both kings and paupers. It's an authentic Christian experience to be wealthy in Christ yet despised by the world. To be wealthy in Christ yet despised by the world. But whatever happens, as Philippians 1 says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. I know that you will stand firm in the spirit, Paul writes, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe, but also to suffer. Corinth and the apostles are the church. Corinth and Paul are the church, and we must remember that. It's very easy for churches to get puffed up. To think that they've made it. To think that they're the ones. To put their motorcycles out the front and look at other people's cars and battered cars. To meet above a shop to pray to Jesus and think that that, that's not what Christ is about. Let's come to our pretty shiny one. Well friends, that church in Richmond's now completely closed. Um, they had a massive scandal and their pastor's in jail under a 40 year sentence. That's not how it always is. but It's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy when we see the beauty of the gospel to get wrapped up in ourselves and and many of us in this room know we've we've got issues just like that close to us here. Do not get puffed up. Do not get lost in what we could be. But let's listen to Paul. All of us, servants and stewards, don't go further than it's written. And definitely for me as a leader and other leaders at every level in this church, Servants and stewards, yes kings and yes paupers, all one under Christ, and we will see his glory and his kingdom growing. Let's take a moment, friends, as I pray, to reflect on, on 1 Corinthians 4, those first 13 verses. Let's just allow the music to be our silence. Music can be either noise to us or silence over us. Allow yourself to get into just a space where you communicate with God and keep your Bibles open. This is his word. And so as we've come to a place at St. Andrew's, I'd love to invite you to read this passage again for yourself under God. And if there's anything that you would like to comment on or question or something from the Lord to encourage the church, a prophecy to encourage the body, then I'll invite you to raise a hand in a couple of minutes and we'll share before we sing our final song of worship.